Hey everyone and welcome back to Motherkind, the show that is going to help you navigate the massive challenges of motherhood and life with more acceptance, ease, joy and purpose. Thanks to each and every one of you that come back every week to listen, learn and feel inspired. And if you do love the podcast, do me a favour and hit subscribe. It really does help. So I can't actually believe that we are here and I am recording this because this is the 200th episode of the Motherkind podcast. Wow, what a thing. I, yeah, I actually can't believe it. So thank you, thank you, thank you to each of you that listen every week or have ever listened, even if it's once before. It's only because of your support that I've made it to 200. Every time I say that, I'm like, 200 episode is mind-blowing to me. I honestly didn't think I would get past 10 episodes. So I thought, as is the 200th, I would do a solo episode today, chatting about some of the things that I've learned, some of the things that have had the greatest impact on me from the past 200 episodes. And hopefully, some of those insights and lessons you're going to be able to apply to your own life too. I've also asked you some questions over on Instagram, what you would love me to answer. So I'm going to answer those throughout. And at the end, I will do a sort of short Q&A with some of the fantastic questions that you got in. I actually got hundreds. So thank you if you asked me a question. I guess hitting 200 episodes has made me reflect back on how on earth this all started. And I think there's some powerful insights for us all in here. So that's where I'll start. I'll start with how it started. And you've probably heard me say this before if you are a long time listener, but I started this podcast because I was looking for a conversation that I couldn't find. When I became a mum, six, nearly seven years ago now, which I also can't believe. It really is the longest, shortest time, isn't it? I'd already done eight years in 12-step recovery. I'd done hundreds of hours in therapy. I've trained as a coach. I was on meditation retreats a lot. So it's safe to say I was pretty into transformation and healing. I was actually kind of obsessed with it. This idea that no matter where you'd come from or what you'd been through. And I'd been through a lot in my 20s before I became a mum. So I was really, really fascinated by change and how you could break free from some of your own limitations, of which I had many, because I really wanted to experience more joy, presence and happiness more than anyone, to be really honest with you, than I'd seen around me. So I was really, really into it. That was my sort of life. I was in corporate. I was in a marketing corporate job, but every evening, every weekend, I was doing something around my healing, my transformation, my recovery. And then I became a mum. And it absolutely floored me. As you will have heard me share many, many times, those old coping behaviors, I call them, that I thought I'd put back down, came back louder than ever before my perfectionism. Gosh, when I think about my perfectionism when Jesse was little, it was dominating my days. Fear, control, wanting to isolate, thinking there was something wrong with me, not connecting, all the things that I was struggling with for most of my life. And I thought 
had a handle on, came back and then some. I was also incredibly triggered by Jesse's crying and I was really struggling in my relationship. Basically, I was a mess. It really floored me. And I now know that that is quite a universal experience. I didn't know that then. I had no idea. I was totally unprepared. I also know that sleep deprivation is massive and I didn't understand then how susceptible I was to those old behaviours, to my inner critic when I was absolutely exhausted. Again, I now know that now, but I didn't back then. So yeah, I was really, really broken that first year. And I started to look for help, which I guess is what I'd done back, you know, way back when, when I was 22 and I'd had a breakdown and I was looking for help. I turned, as you do, to the internet and I found most of the content quite unhelpful, particularly the mainstream parenting books I found really unhelpful. They were just playing into my perfectionism and my inner critic and my need for control. A lot of the content online, so Instagram was just sort of becoming big in the mum space. I found that also really unhelpful, lots of focus on how things looked, lots of focus on drinking. And I was sober. So I was like, this just doesn't feel helpful. Where do I fit? I couldn't find what I was looking for. So I started to look more broadly. I started to, lots of American authors, actually, I started to discover writers and thinkers like Glennon Doyle, whose work really spoke to me. Her first book, Carry On Warrior, was about her early experiences of parenting and recovery. And I was like, yes, this speaks to me. I get it. I started to study Gabor Mate, Dr. Shafali. I started to read lots of Buddhist texts about motherhood and follow people like Tara Brach. And it really helped me. It really helped me. And I think it's because a lot of those incredible people were speaking to the deeper experience of motherhood. And I realized that that's who I am. I am a deep, deep person. And a lot of the surface level stuff uh, just wasn't helping me. It was making things worse for me. I hate surface. I'm crap at small talk. If you ever meet me at a party, I would go the other way unless you want an incredibly deep conversation. So I started to consume all of that and get really into it. And I started my going really into my journaling practice every time Jesse would nap. I was journaling about what was coming up for me. And I started to feel more confident and I started to join lots of dots. I started to understand things that I never understood, like our children will trigger in us what was happening to us at that same age. That idea was just revelatory to me. And I started to get this bubbling desire that I wanted to share some of this more broadly. But very quickly followed by that idea was a lot of resistance. I can't do that. No way. Who am I to do that? You know, I was marketing. What was I doing then? I wasn't working actually that first year of Jesse, but prior to that, I'd left my corporate job and I was consulting and I thought I'd just go back into that. I had no idea how to do a platform or content or how to share. I didn't even have an Instagram account or if I did, it was sort of very sporadic and small. But I had this bubbling that I really wanted to share what I was learning. So I did. I got the help of a coach and this is a very long story cut short, but I managed to record six episodes of the podcast. I told myself that if I recorded them, I wouldn't need to put them out. And the rest, I guess, is history. Here we are at episode 200. So 
I wanted to pull some insights because I think that little journey of how it started for me, there's lots of insights in there for you, hopefully. The first one is that if you have an idea to create something, I believe it's because it's needed. If I hadn't have done this podcast, if I'd have let that voice of who are you, no one's going to listen, you don't know what you're doing, if I'd have let that voice win, how much I would have missed out on and how much potentially everyone that messages me and tells me the podcast has helped them would have missed out on. So I really think that if you have an idea, whether it's big, like a podcast or a business or to move house, or whether it's really small, like to start a WhatsApp group with mums in your local area, then I think you've had that idea for a reason and don't ignore it. Do something with it. The second insight is that passion beats experience. When I say I had zero experience, I mean, I had like minus zero experience, whatever that would be. I'd never interviewed anyone. I had no idea about tech. I had this like old rubbish laptop, but I did have passion and that passion grew and grew. And I think on paper, this podcast should not have worked given that I had no idea what I was doing. I had no platform, particularly how competitive and loud the podcasting space is now. But I think what's enabled me to keep going is passion. And I think passion trumps experience every single time because with passion, you will keep going where other people will stop. So all you need is a seed of that passion, by the way. You know, I had that bubbling as I described it and that's got louder and louder. And in fact, I've never felt more passionate about Motherkind and the message in the podcast than I do today. So it definitely grows. The third thing is about resistance. Anything new that you want to create, you will face massive resistance, even if that's starting a new exercise class or deciding to stop something or start something. Any change will bring with it massive resistance. That's why I knew I had to get a coach to help me get the podcast out into the world because I never would have done it on my own. The resistance and the voice of who the hell are you? You're going to make a fool of yourself was so loud. I had to pay someone (laughs) to help push me over the line. My thinking, that negative voice will always get in the way for me if I'm not on top of it, aware of it. So resistance is not a reason not to do something. I actually think resistance and fear are a constant partner of an expansive life because every time you try something new or do something differently, resistance is going to come with it. Partly because the brain hates change. It's called homeostasis. The brain wants to keep things the same. And also because we tend as humans not to like doing something new that brings with it fear, as I was saying. I've also learned that where there is the greatest resistance, there is also the greatest opportunity. I learned this from The War of Art, which is an incredible book by Stephen Pressfield. And in it, he says that you're likely to face the biggest resistance, which I definitely did starting this, where there is the most potential for your expansion, where you're most on purpose. So the louder the fear, the closer you're getting to what you're meant to be doing. I just find the idea absolutely mind-blowing, absolutely mind-blowing. The second thing is to just take one step. I think 
When I started, if I'd have thought that this was going to be a four-year project and some, which it is today, I probably wouldn't have started because it would have been way too overwhelming. I think something that I've done quite well and works actually is just taking the next step. Just take the next step. You don't have to see the whole staircase. You don't have to have a five-year plan, whatever it is, even if it's you know, something tiny like wanting to start exercise more or making new friends. You don't need to know how it's all going to pan out. You just need to take the next step. The next one is discipline and consistency, which is not very sexy, but I don't think is talked about enough when we think about change and creativity and expansion and all the good stuff. It's because if you want to experience something differently, so whether that's, you know, you have an intention where you want more joy in your marriage, you want more fun in your life, or you want more presence with your children, then you have to be disciplined and consistent about it. If you wait for those moments to just arrive, they might be fleeting, they might never arrive, or you might not even notice them because you're too busy doing something else. So you have to be disciplined. Do what you say you're going to do and be consistent. I think with passion, discipline, and consistency, I have been blown away with what I can achieve with that recipe. And that's not just in, you know, in podcast or your creativity. That's with things like wanting to be more present with Jesse. That's things like wanting to heal my dissociation, which I've really struggled with. You know, I've applied this idea of passion, like I really want to change this, and then discipline and consistency. And the other thing is around dreaming bigger for our lives. I think as mothers, and I know I do this, I can keep myself so small, so small. I can have an idea or a dream or a vision, and then I can very quickly cut that down. And I think if I'd have never allowed myself to dream that I might be able to get some of the guests that I have, have the conversations that I have, then I would never have asked. And you know, it's so true that you're only ever an ask away. I think that's really, really true, whether that's asking for a weekend off without the kids or asking for, you know, a conversation that you're scared to have or asking for a pay increase at work or whatever it might be. I think so often we stop ourselves from even asking. So how are we going to get to that dream if we won't even let ourselves ask? Yeah, do the ask and trust yourself that you will meet that moment. God, it feels mad reflecting on some of those insights. And it's also a really good reminder for me because at the moment I'm thinking about the next steps with this platform and the podcast, and I really want to do more live stuff and in-person stuff. But that resistance and that fear voice is coming up still. Like no one's going to be there, Zoe. Who's going to want to come? It's going to be you and your mum sat (laughs) in an empty theatre. And It's really good actually to reflect because that is exactly the voice that I had when I started the podcast. No one's going to listen. You're going to make a fool of yourself. And that hasn't been true. So I need to remember that, that that fear voice is always going to be there and I don't need to listen to it. I also wanted to share with you some of the content, some of the ideas that guests have shared with me over the last 200 episodes that have really, really stayed with me. It's really hard to do this because every single person that I have on, I only have people on whose work I respect and who I know I'm going to learn something from. So every single episode I've learned something from, but I thought it would be good to challenge myself to think about five guests 
that have had a massive impact on me and what I've learned. So here they are. Are you ready? Drum roll. Tension. <laughs> the first one is Glennon Doyle. I loved Glennon Doyle for a long time before I started the podcast. As I shared, she was someone that I started reading when I became a mother and was hugely inspired by. So having her on the podcast really was a bit of a dream come true. And I think her message about what our children need is alive mothers really, really, really impacted me. You know, when she says that mothering is about being a model for who we want our children to be in the world, for the type of woman that they want to look up and see in the world, not a martyr, someone who is dying in love for their children. She really planted this idea in my mind that, you know, we've been taught that a good mother means that we have to forget ourselves and shrink and become small and put ourselves on the bottom of the pile and forget our dreams and just martyr ourselves for our families. And she really made me think about, but what if it's the other way? What if to be a good mother, we have to remember ourselves, what we're capable of and who we are and what we want to do in this world and be that light, be that model. I think about that all the time. It really was like fire to me, that idea and that episode. And actually that whole book, Untamed, which is the book that we talked about on the podcast that she'd just released uh, a couple of years ago. It sits on my bedside table and I often just pick it up and it's written in such a way that it's like mini essays. So some of the chapters are like a paragraph. I will just pick it up and read a paragraph. And the way that she describes the experience of being a woman and a mother and her untaming and her becoming, yeah, I find incredibly inspiring. I also love her podcast, We Can Do Hard Things. She's a huge inspiration to me. The next one is Eve Rodsky. And I didn't know Eve. I think Eve got pitched to us from her publisher and we get tons of pitches, like 10 a day or something crazy. So I normally scan them and something about Eve just absolutely stood out for me. And I thought, fair play, what's this about? And I was reading the blurb and I was getting excited, even reading the blurb about the book before I'd even got my hands on it. Because that episode and what Eve Rodsky talks about is that whilst women are still doing the majority of the unpaid labor, while we're still carrying that domestic and emotional load disproportionately to our partners, there will never be equality. She says that lack of time equality is the biggest feminist issue of our time because we don't measure men and women's time in equal terms because we are trying to work you know more mothers than ever are working now partly because we have the opportunity to partly because we have to because of the cost of living but also the home what's happening in the home has not reflected that change outside the home so essentially we are working and working two jobs because we're also picking up i think 70% is the statistic we are doing 70% of the unpaid domestic and emotional work at home you know, this question, how do we make it more fair at home? I think about all the time, all the time. And it's totally changed my home life with Guy Evrodsky and that episode. And there's some resistance to that because it's really breaking generational patterning, isn't it? You know, I think this is really new. It's only in the past, not even a hundred years that women have been afforded the career opportunities that we are now. 
So it's new. It's new to our nervous systems. It's new to our partners. It's new. And I think there's always resistance around that. So we've really been working through that. Guy and I, we've got a spreadsheet. <laughs> and we think a lot about how equal are things in our home. And I've got much, much, much better as a result of that episode at speaking up when I feel resentful or like I'm doing too much of that domestic load. Her 10-minute check-in tool as well was also game-changing for me. So just taking 10 minutes at the end of the day to check in with each other, saving up those resentments and annoyances instead of like bickering throughout the day, saving them up, jotting them down and bringing them to like a 10-minute check-in is an incredible tool. And Guy and I still use that today. I want to get Eve back on actually because she's got a new book out. So hopefully that will be happening, which would be so exciting. So the third episode and people, actually there's two guests that have had a massive impact on me is matrescence. And I didn't know that word at all before I started the podcast. It was when I had Dr. Alexandra Sachs on I think in 2019, quickly followed by Amy Taylor-Kabaz, who's also a matrescence expert in the same year or maybe early 2020. I can't remember. That's the thing. Some people ask me when the episodes were and I'm like, I have no idea. But I think it was around them. And that is a word, matrescence, that totally changed my life. And I know from the messages that I got that it totally changed many of yours as well. I think learning that becoming a mother is meant to be bumpy. It's a time when the ground moves from under you. And it's not just that first year, you know, it's years into it that, you know, nothing makes sense anymore. And it's almost like your whole life gets thrown up in the air and let's see where the pieces fall back down. That it's meant to be like that, that this word matrescence encapsulates that and describes that. And it actually got put in the Cambridge Dictionary recently, which is an incredible step forward for that recognition of that process. And I think a huge part of what I want to do now with this podcast is to normalize matrescence, to talk about matrescence, to have that recognition of how hard it is when we become a mother, that it's such a bumpy, bumpy ride, just like adolescence. It's just like adolescence. You know, our brains change, our bodies change, our hormones change, our lives change. And it's insane to me that we don't talk about that enough. And actually even more insane that the general narrative from society is that you have a baby, you get your body back, whatever on earth that means, as quickly as possible. And then you smile and you wear cute matching outfits and you sail off into the sunset. I think my experience, and I know thousands, millions of women who've contacted me over the years, that's their experience too, that it is nothing like that. It is an unbecoming and an unraveling and then a putting back together again. And I guess that's what I want to do with the podcast. A big piece is to help us as mothers put those pieces back together again, even better than before, you know, using things like boundaries, understanding ourselves even better to become the mothers that we want to be and that we're capable of being and the women that we're capable of being. Yeah, matrescence. What a word. What a word. The next one is Philippa Perry. Now she wrote that incredible book, didn't she? That was just a bestseller. If it's not still probably in the top 10, the book you wish your parents had read. When I spoke to Philippa, we had had lots of guests on the podcast and I was really beginning to understand on a deeper and deeper level how profoundly generational patterning 
works and how we cannot give what we don't have. But I think there's something about Philippa, about her humor, but also the depth and the intelligence and the experience that she brings to it, that it just really landed with me, particularly about feelings, about how if we as the parent or the mother didn't have our feelings validated, then how on earth are we supposed to firstly be able to connect to our emotional selves? So many people have the experience that I did where I was just totally disconnected from my emotional self. So no wonder my baby crying her eyes out was triggering for me because they're just a ball of feelings. So there was that mirror back to me of you are totally disconnected from your feelings and here is this little ball of feelings have fun, off you go. Yeah, it was incredibly hard. So I think learning that from Philippa, that if we struggle connecting to our emotional selves, our children are going to trigger that in us. And secondly, that if we want to change that cycle and we want our children to be able to connect with their emotional selves, which is the foundation of emotional and mental health, then we first have to do some work on that ourselves. And then we have to do it differently with our children. That shutting children's feelings down does not work long term. And I have heard that from so many incredible people. Gabor Mate, you know, Philippa Perry, the episode that I'm talking about, Dr. Gordon Newfield, who's probably the world's greatest thinker on attachment. You know, all those guests that I've had on over the years have talked about that, that we have to be able to help our children navigate their emotions. It's just bloody hard (laughs) if we weren't taught how to navigate our own. I think that's why Gabor Mate, who I'm going to talk about next, actually, he says the primary art of parenting is self-parenting. And I think that's what he means. That if we want to do anything differently for our children, we first of all have to look at it ourselves. And I think that's why that book with Philippa did so well, because that is exactly what it talks about. And I'm getting really good at validating feelings now for myself and then for my girls. You know, I can see that's really hard for you. I can see you're upset about that. Even if I think it's absolutely ridiculous, I am validating their experience and telling them that their feelings matter. And who knows? It's like a big experiment, isn't it? But I'm hoping that that is going to develop some emotional health in them. I'm trusting all these experts that I have on. (laughs) I'm doing it very differently then was done to me. And I'm really hoping that they will have more emotional health, that they will have more connection to themselves, that they will have more trust in their feelings than I ever did. And I had to learn all this in therapy in my 20s. And I'm hoping they won't have to. Let's see. I'll tell you when we get to the, what would we be at then? Like the 2000th or 3000th episode when Jessie's a teenager, she can come on (laughs) and say how it went. And Rose, of course. I am very excited this week because Athletic Greens are back sponsoring the podcast. I love AG1. I take it every morning as I'm making the girls breakfast. AG1 is a supplement with 75 ingredients and the special blend supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and even aging. Basically, all the things. It's one of my daily non-negotiables to have my AG1. As I'm drinking it, it actually tastes really nice. I'm reminding myself that I am worth looking after, that I can only be the mother and person I want to be in the world when I look after myself. 
Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews, and I totally get why. It really is a brilliant product. So to make it easy, Athletic Greens are going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash motherkind. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash motherkind to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. On to the episode. The last one, which you won't be surprised to hear, is Gabor Mate. You know, that episode was really seminal for me. It absolutely changed my life. He talks about how the primary role of parenting is self-parenting, as I was just talking about. And I think that episode, I really started to understand on a deeper and deeper level, generational patterning and how we have to look. We have to look at our stuff. We have to look at those beliefs that we picked up growing up if we want to not repeat it. So he shares this story, which is incredible and I think so poignant that he never felt good enough because of the emotional availability of his mum through no fault of her own. She was in her own trauma because of World War II. And because of that, she wasn't emotionally available to him. And so he never felt enough. He grew up lacking with that belief that he wasn't enough, that he had to achieve and perform to earn love. Of course, it seems obvious, doesn't it? He then became a workaholic because through his work, he found that validation and he found that love and he found that achievement. And he was a doctor on call when his children were young. And he shares in that episode so humbly and so beautifully that what then happened was that he then wasn't emotionally available for his own children. The very trauma that he had experienced when he was young because he was trying to fill a void created in him and that then created the same void in his children because he was working all the time. And I think it was so humble just sharing that cycle so clearly. He did a way better job, by the way, than I just have. Really, really made me think like, wow, this is profound and this is deep. I'm going to try and do this. I'm going to try and look at these cycles and very, very, very imperfectly, I am still unpacking those patterns that I picked up. I talked about some of them in the start of the episode. I'm still unpacking those beliefs that I have. And I will do this very imperfectly. There is no way I don't think that we get to do this perfectly. No one is a clean sheet. You know, no one gets to raise their children without putting limiting beliefs on them or beliefs that we wouldn't want them to have about themselves or the world. It's impossible to do it. But I think just the intention, just the willingness is incredibly, incredibly powerful. Yeah, it's something the guy and I talk about all the time, actually. What do we want to do differently for our girls? What beliefs do we want them to have about themselves and the world? And how are we showing them that? Yeah, it's light chat over our dinner table. (laughs) He also said it's the hardest time to be a mother since the Second World War. And he said that pre-pandemic. I also want to get him back on to hear about his take for mothers in the pandemic. So I'm working hard to make that happen for us. But he said that before the pandemic is just mind blowing to me. And I think that unlocked so much compassion for me. And he really put a 
cultural and societal context on my experience of motherhood, how it's very recent, you know, only in the last hundred years or so that we mother in the way that we do away from family, often behind closed doors on our own, whilst taking on the majority of the emotional and domestic labor whilst still working. And then we call ourselves a failure because we can't hold it all. How insane is that? So understanding that just unlocked so much compassion for myself. Like I am doing an incredible job here under really hard societal circumstances that my brain is actually not wired to be able to thrive in. You know, we're also the first generation of mothers raising our children in the digital era with Google, with social media, with all the crazy stuff, you know, AI coming down the line now. You know, we're the first generation of mothers really having to tackle that and wrestle with it. So I think we need to give ourselves so much compassion. And he really, really unlocked that for me. Oh, I need to take a breath. <laughs> it's hard when you're just talking into the microphone. There's no guest. Normally I'm just speaking like 10% of the time. So that is some of the really big game changing, life changing ideas that I have taken from the last 200 episodes. But I would love to hear what yours are, because I think each of us will take something different from each guest and each of you would have loved a different guest for a different reason. So please do let me know which episodes have had the biggest impact on you. So I was asked some questions on Instagram, which I will answer now. And if you did ask me a question, thank you very, very much. I had tons, but I've picked out six or seven, which I'll go through now. So the first one that I was asked was, which episode made you the most emotional? Well, the first thing I'll say is that I cry most episodes, which sometimes I try and cover up. Sometimes I'm just there blubbing. And if you are a regular listener, you will know that. That's also an amazing thing for me, by the way, as someone who has had to work very hard at connecting with my emotional self, crying regularly in public is massive. It's something that I celebrate every time I cry still, because for a long time, I couldn't cry. When I would cry, this voice would come into my head saying, you have nothing to cry about. And I don't have that voice today. When I cry, I feel generally good. That I'm releasing something. I also cry when someone shares something that just feels very true. Have you ever had that where someone shares something and that's like a release and acknowledgement? And I think that's also why I cry a lot in the podcast because a lot of the guests say those things that just feel so true and so compassionate to me that I just cry in the relief of it. But there is one episode where I cried more than normal. And that was the episode with Dr. Rick Hansen. We recorded quite late at night. So I was very tired. And when I'm tired, I'm way more susceptible. My emotions get dialed up. So I think we recorded 10 p.m. to 11 p.m. And I'd already done like a full day work, parenting, tea, bedtime. So I was quite emotional anyway. But I think just being in the space with Rick, who is, just the most tender and compassionate man, just being in conversation with him unlocked something in me. And when he was talking about the bliss of blamelessness, you know, just being able to put your head, he said, on the pillow at the end of the night and know that you are blameless. Ah, oh, there was something in that that's made me really, really emotional. 
that episode was incredible. I'll have to check the numbers, but when I last looked, that was the most downloaded episode of the year so far, and I'm not surprised. Someone said, which episode has changed your life the most? Well, I shared the five, but if I had to share one of those five, it would either be Glennon or Gabor Mate, probably Gabor Mate, just because I think about those ideas that he shared so succinctly and with so much humility and depth. I think about that a lot. So that's probably changed my life the most. Someone says, how do you find your guests? Well, it's a mix. Some are pitched to us. As I was sharing, we get a lot of pitches, which is incredible because it means that people want to come on the podcast and they want to talk to me. And it means that the podcast has a profile, which is incredible. We didn't used to get that when we first started. But often, if I'm going to be really honest with you, we often don't have those guests that are pitching to us. So we're getting about 10 a day, I'd say. And it's quite rare that a guest that pitches to us, we will have on because the guests that I really want aren't reaching out to me. (laughs) They are definitely not probably aware of the Weather Climb podcast or my work. So I had to find them. I have Angie who works with me. She's incredible. And we'll say, right, I really want this guest on. How are we going to get them on? Does anyone know anyone? Is there a guest that we've already had on that can introduce us, which happens quite a lot? Do we know their publisher? Let's direct message them on Instagram. Let's email them. So we'll sort of just work out a plan and we'll just keep plugging away at it. So Brené Brown, it's no secret. I'm desperate to have on the podcast. We've just been plugging away at that for three years now. And one day it will happen. I think it's just, yeah, that consistency that I was talking about. And also the other thing is I've developed a really good relationship with lots of publishers. So that's how I got Glennon Doyle on. And that's how I got Mel Robbins on and Gabor Mate, actually, because I've developed a good relationship with the public relations people that work in those publishing houses. Someone asked me, how do you not get overwhelmed from all the information? It's such a good question. And the truth is, sometimes I do. Sometimes I do. And I think I've really learned this actually over the course of doing the podcast that I have to take a lot more time for myself than I ever realized to recognize how much I'm taking on from the podcast, also from coaching and the other things that I do with Motherkind. So that's the first thing is that I try to build in space for myself to assimilate that information, to cherry pick through what applies to my life right now and what do I want to just hold what feels too much for me to look at to uncover that (laughs) uncover that rock in recovery meetings we say take what you need and leave the rest and that's what I do so there's actually no way that I could take all of what we talk about in the podcast and apply it to my life because it would be totally overwhelming and probably get very unmanageable very quickly you know that's the same for you as a listener if I applied whatever I was listening to on every single podcast it would just be way too much that would become a full-time job wouldn't it so I think I just take what I need I take what I like and then I leave the rest I pop it down and I just have this deep trust that I will hear what I'm meant to hear right when I'm meant to hear it and I will change what I'm meant to change right when I'm meant to change it and not a moment before and that idea gives me a lot of comfort because it means that I can just be far more fluid and I can release the pressure on myself to want to change everything at once, which is impossible 
I know what I'm working on in my life. I always have things that I'm working on. It's normally like a quality that I want to develop or something that I want to change. And so I'll be focusing on that. And then if a guest says something that helps me with that, I'll really take that probably that day and think about how to apply it. Everything else, I'll probably just pause for another time. It's also really lovely since I started doing the moment episodes, which is on a Monday, the shorter episodes, because then I'm listening back to tons of old episodes and it's amazing. I'm hearing something new every single time. So the answer is I don't take on all the information because I would be really, really, really overwhelmed. I think it's about taking what you need and just putting the rest down for another day and trusting that, you know, you'll learn what you're meant to learn. And hear what you're meant to hear when you're meant to hear it. I really, really trust that. Someone says, how do you have fun? How do you switch off from it all? Uh, yes, I, <laughs> I'm a work in progress. I have tendencies to be obsessional about things and to just want to think about nothing else than, you know, this work that I do and this passion that I have. So I have to really watch that. I do that by, you know, partly how I structure my day and the boundaries that I have, which you know I am very, very big on. So I love swimming in the sea, which is something new since we moved to Dorset. I find that cold water is like magic for me. And I'd heard people talk about it before and I thought they were insane. I was like, why would anyone want to get in to freezing cold sea? I just couldn't get it. I couldn't get it. I was like, they are insane people and there's no way I'm ever doing that. And then I did it and it is absolutely addictive. It is incredible, that feeling. There's like a peace that comes over me and a presence. So I really love that. I've also made some really good new friends here. We moved to Dorset from London last year. It's coming up for a year now. And I've made five or six really good like-minded friends. So we will go out for dinner. A couple of them are practitioners. So I might go to a class with them that they're teaching. We might go to a class together. So that is really good. I also love watching things with Guy. Like we love those real life documentaries. So we just finished the one about Theranos, what's it called? The Dropout, which was amazing. And the other thing is I love playing role play with the girls. I mean, I'm basically a frustrated performer, frustrated actress. (laughs) When I was younger, I was actually on the stage when I was really young, like eight or nine. So I actually love role play. I know lots of you listening are going to be rolling your eyes at this because I know lots of people hate it, but I actually can get really into role play. The other night we played holidays where we were pretending that we were going on holiday and I was getting really into it for about an hour. And I genuinely find that quite fun. Not always. Sometimes I find it excruciating. But the other day I was finding that quite fun. And I would say prioritizing fun is something I want to do more and more and more. I'm really getting to that phase, I would say, of my healing and my recovery and just my life where I want to start accessing more fun and being way, way, way lighter than perhaps I have been at points of my life and my motherhood journey. Someone says, how do you read all the books? How on earth do you get time to do all the prep? Uh, Yes, I do lots and lots of prep for every episode because I think you can tell when a host hasn't and I have been on podcasts where the host clearly hasn't prepped and it is not a good experience. So I do a lot of prep. I will read the books 
multiple books if they've written multiple books and I haven't read them before. Often I've read them before because I'm getting guests on because I love their message. So that helps. But if I haven't, I'll read the book. I'm quite a fast reader, which helps. I also have this skill where I can assimilate information quite quickly. I mean, I love it. It doesn't feel like work to me. I think the moment it feels like work, I'll probably stop in terms of something that I dread. I never dread prepping for a podcast ever. I love it. I think it's a privilege being able to connect with someone and ask them to share their message to the mothers in the world in order to support us all is a privilege. I absolutely love it. Yeah, it's not hard for me. That part of it isn't hard for me. It's also my job, don't forget. So I'm not sort of doing this around another job. It is my job to prep brilliantly and thoughtfully and intelligently for anyone that I have on. So yeah, I just make sure that I do my job to my best of my ability. Somebody asked me about how do I juggle running my own business and motherhood? Well, I mean, it's not easy, is it? Let's be real. But I think I am good at boundaries. So I work four days a week, nine till two. I do every pickup for the girls and then I tend to not work again for the rest of the day. Sometimes I might jump on emails at like eight o'clock when they're in bed or something, but typically my work day stops at two. I think holding those boundaries definitely helps. It definitely helps. I don't have a boss. To some extent, I am in charge of my own rhythm. And I remember someone saying that to me on the podcast, which was I set my own pace. And I love that because I could definitely have grown this quicker. I could definitely have been on social media all day, every day on stories, sharing, posting, commenting, replying. I mean, that is a full-time job in itself. And I think the cost that I've paid for maybe my boundaries and my desire to make my life feel really manageable is that it's grown slower. But I'm totally okay with that. That is a trade-off that I've consciously made. People keep asking me, when's the book coming? When's the book coming? And they've asked me for years, which is incredibly flattering. But the truth is I just haven't had the space. Rose is only two I will have soon. It is coming. But I think making that conscious choice about my trade-offs has been really important to me. So I've chosen to grow Motherkind slower because I want to be less stressed and more present. Sometimes that's hard for me, particularly if I see other people doing work that I love in the world who are clearly working harder than me, having more success than me, getting more opportunities But I just have to remind myself, like, Zoe, you have made this choice. Focus on what is important for you, which is growing this slowly, sustainably. And while I'm in the season of motherhood of Jesse and Rose being young, I'm also choosing to be really present with them. I think when they get older, maybe when Rose starts school in two years, you will see Motherkind ramp up another level on our plan to global domination very, very slowly. But right now, I really prioritize those boundaries and those choices that I make. I'm in this for the long game. I think that's the other difference is that I don't feel any of that scarcity. Like if I say no, the opportunity is never coming back or this is once in a lifetime opportunity and I have to do it now. I actually don't feel any of that. I feel far more in that, I guess you'd call it like an abundant mindset where I believe that 
all the good is coming for me. The best is yet to come. And if I say no now, it just means the opportunity is going to come back bigger and better at another time when it's even more right for me. So I don't feel any of that pressure around turning things down or saying no, which I do an awful lot, by the way. And the last question is, would you do an episode with listeners? Yes. We actually thought for this 200th episode that we might do that with listeners, but to be totally transparent, we didn't get our act together. So we decided that I would do a solo, but I would love to do an episode with listeners. So let's make that happen. If you're keen, drop me a direct message and we'll start thinking and we'll start compiling those of you that would like to be involved in that. So I've talked for 50 minutes my voice hurts a little bit. You can hear it going a bit croaky. I guess it's just to look to the future a bit. And you as part of this podcast and, you know, listening to me and being part of Motherkind, I'm incredibly grateful for you. And I want you to feel part of, you know, this movement and the future and what we're trying to do as well. And for me, this ambition only gets bigger from here. As my girls grow up, I want this podcast to grow more and more as I dedicate more time to it. I want to get bigger guests on. I want Brené Brown on. <laughs> I want to get, you know, more and more of this message of motherhood being an opportunity for transformation and to come alive as mothers. I want that message to be far and wide. So thank you for being here. Thank you for helping me. Does it sound too cheesy to say live my dreams? I mean, this podcast is a dream. I definitely don't feel like I live in a dream life all day, every day. Of course not. But whenever I sit to record an episode, I genuinely do feel so grateful that I get to do this. And that's only because of you. So thank you. There is a competition on Instagram to say thank yous from some of our favorite sponsors, who of course are a massive piece to this puzzle. Because if this podcast didn't earn money to be really transparent, I wouldn't be able to carry on doing it. And the way that we do that is through sponsorship. So again, a massive thank you to sponsors. And some of our favorite sponsors from over the years have gifted things to us so that we've got a big competition running over on Instagram. So please do enter that. I'm really excited for whoever is going to win that. It's going to be an incredible prize. And I suppose I have to ask myself my own last question, right? which is what's the one gift that you would give to all mothers in the world? And without sounding too self-congratulatory or navel-gazy, I would definitely give this podcast, not because of me, of course not, because of the guests that we've had on. Because I genuinely believe that the guests and the wisdom and the things that we talk about in this podcast can change your experience of motherhood and life. I think it can make it easier I think it can make you feel more confident and have more clarity and just feel more and more connected to yourself, which is what I think we need as mothers. So I would give this podcast and hopefully if you all continue to support me in the way that you have so far, I will continue to be able to give this gift of this podcast for a long, long, long time to come cannot wait till we hit our 300th episode, our 400th, our 500th. I really am in this for the long game. So thank you for supporting me. Thank you for being here. And please do let me know which bits of this episode resonated, which bits of the podcast you love, what you want to hear more of, and how I can support you more and more in the future. That's it from me. 